and his lovely wife Stephanie are in Topeka. They are part of our Call to Greatness <laughs> ministry there, a new church plant there in Topeka. We've got a good contingency from Topeka here today, so glad you all could come here as well. Good to see, yeah, some familiar faces uh, and some new faces too, so glad you could be here. Ryan is just a good friend, a man who's really walking out the process of growth and transformation, and I've seen that happen over the last several years and have really just been impressed in when I, I see Ryan, you know, here and there, like once a month or something, and the last several months, and I've heard him preach a few times, like, wow, God is doing some powerful stuff <laughs> in this man's life. So we were talking about who to have come in this week, and we thought Ryan would be the perfect person to come. So we're excited about that. Let's open up our hearts to what God has for us this morning, and take notes, and fasten your seatbelt, because there is a lot of transformation about to unfold. All right. Am I on? Great. Well, uh, Bianca is right. It is really awkward to stand and be complimented, especially in front of other people. Uh, but hey, I'm really excited to be here with you guys. I actually spent uh, one semester of my time in college here at K-State, lived just a few miles up the road that way. Uh, and some of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life happened right here in Manhattan. So I'm always excited to come back to Manhattan and make some good choices. Uh, and I think I get a chance to do that with you guys here today. So. Uh, man, I got to be honest with you guys, there's been two things all week I've been really nervous about for this weekend. Uh, one of them was this message, and another one is like a game that's taking place tonight, uh, if you guys know about it. And I've been really nervous to like, what's, what are those going to be like? What's the outcome going to be? Uh, and it's funny, the last two nights, uh, two nights ago on Friday night, I had a dream about the Super Bowl where Patrick Mahomes literally forgot how to throw a football. Like he would take the snap and run backwards and then bah, just throw it up in the air like this, and it was so devastating. Uh, and then last night, I had a dream where I preached about as well as he learned to throw the football. So uh, I think as long as, as long, you know, it calmed my nerves to know that as long as things don't go that badly, and either of those things, we're going to be all right. Uh, so with that being said, I am excited to talk to you guys about the 15 reasons that Jesus wants the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Um, no, but no, in all, in all seriousness, this book, KL2, is so powerful. It really is a life-changing thing. Uh, actually, the first time I ever went through KL2 was on a mission trip. I was in Uganda, and we were doing a conference where we were teaching the KL1 and KL2 books. Uh, and I was supposed to teach chapter one of the KL2, and I was like, hey, I've never gone through KL2. And so we went through the whole KL2 book in one day, and then I taught the first chapter the next day. Like, that's how God works. When you learn something, you have something to teach. And so I'm really excited to be able to impart something to you guys today, not only for your own lives, but so that you can go out and help other people be transformed as well. Um, so I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. Anybody know who this guy is? He, he's somewhat of a politician. His name's Ben Carson. All right. So I first started following Ben Carson during the 2016 presidential election when he was a candidate. Uh, he's got some incredible books that I've read since then. Uh, one of my favorite authors, just a, a guy who's really passionate about following God and seeing other people follow him as well. So now he's currently serving as the U.S. Uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, uh, which is a cabinet position in the White House. But when he was growing up, even from an incredibly young age, he was at a conference uh, conference, a church conference where he felt like God was calling him to be a doctor. And so he made a pledge in that moment, God, whatever it takes to be a doctor, I will do it. Um, and, but now the, the thing that was the struggle with that was that he also had an incredibly bad anger problem. Like there were, there were tons of times as a child, his older brother had to physically stop him from beating his mother. 
there were times, there was a time in school where he punched a classmate in the head while he was holding his padlock to his locker, which cost some extra force and broke open a three-inch gash in the classmate's head. And Ben always justified these things just saying, well, I'm just an angry person. It's just who I am. It's not that big of a deal. I'm not a bad kid. I'm a good kid. I just get angry sometimes. And so for a lot of his life, he just kind of brushed it off. Um, then Ben, in ninth grade, when he was a freshman in high school, had an experience that had left him to where he could never be the same again. So Ben uh, was over at his friend's, friend Bob's house, which I know that sounds really cheesy, Ben and Bob, but those are the real names. <laughs> um, so they're just listening to the radio, you know, hanging out. It was before the age of TVs being popular, so I guess that's what people did. They just sat around and listened to music. And Ben was really feeling the song that was playing, uh, but Bob reached over and changed the radio station. Now Ben was like, what the heck, dude, I was jamming. So he turned the radio station back. Immediately, Bob changes the radio station again. Now Ben's kind of had enough at this point. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a pocket knife. Without thinking, he opens it and lunges right for his friend Bob's stomach. Now thankfully, he hit Bob right in his giant metal belt buckle and the blade of his pocket knife broke off. But Ben realized in that moment, like, I can't become a doctor if I can't control this temper that I have. And so Ben freaked out. He apologized profusely to his friend. They both just kind of sat there and stared at each other because they weren't sure what had just happened. Ben ran home. He locked himself in the bathroom. He threw himself on the ground and he started crying. And for four hours he sat there because he realized I can't be the person I want to be unless I have some change. And so Ben could have tried any number of self-help classes. He could have read any number of books. But instead, Ben, having grown up in the church, pulled out the Bible. And he turned to, uh, to Proverbs 16:32, and he read that one verse over and over and over and over again while he was in the bathroom. And it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city. And in that moment, God began to speak to Ben that there was hope, that he wasn't just stuck in this pattern of anger for the rest of his life, that he could, in fact, have self-control. And because God was the one who had created him, God was the one who could help change him as well. So Ben's gone on to do incredible things. Not only did he achieve his dream of becoming a doctor, he actually became the chief of surgery, chief neurosurgeon at John Hopkins Pediatric, which is one of the most prestigious hospitals in the country. He went on to become the first surgeon to successfully separate conjoined twins that were joined at the head. Like the science and skill that that takes, you can't do that as just an angry person, right? But it wouldn't be, he wouldn't have lived this incredible life if he hadn't realized that he needed to change and that in order to change, he needed God. So, so for me now, I'm on this, starting this 2020, I'm on a health kick, right? I'm sure I'm the only person in this room that's like, I want to get a little healthier, right? So I, I, look at, I look at my life and I think, you know, there's a lot of ways I need to get healthier, but the one I want to focus on right now, I want to drop a few pounds, right? You know, it's the beginning of the year, beginning of a new decade, new decade, new me. Uh, so I want to drop a few pounds. So every morning, I get up at 6 a.m., I go into my bathroom, I look into the mirror, I stand there and I just scream, change, be skinnier, lose weight. Then I go back to bed. Uh, 
Later on in the day, I get up, I grab my McDonald's cheeseburger, I pick it up, and I say, be a salad! And then I eat my cheeseburger. Now, obviously, I don't do that. It's really silly to think that I don't actually have to put in any work, and I can still expect to see transformation. Because the real process looks like me and my guy John getting up at 6 a.m., going to the gym, spending an hour there, coming home, then we dive into the Word, you know, all this stuff, then, you, then your day really starts. So it looks like actual effort, and it looks like when I'm hungry, I have to make a decision. Do I want to eat this cheeseburger, or do I want to eat something healthier? But for some reason, that makes sense to us when we think of physical transformation, but when we think about spiritual transformation, we think we don't have to put in any effort, and we can still see change, and we can still see growth, and we can still see transformation. Uh, or, or we just think we don't need to change spiritually. We think we've arrived, uh, but the reality is we all need to continue growing and maturing spiritually, and that change always requires a process, and that a process always requires discipline. All right, so... Uh, some of you guys may know I'm about to become a father in like four months. Super excited. Also super terrified. Uh, it's really exciting, right? I can't, I can't like get the idea of just like holding my baby son uh, out of my head. It sounds so exciting, but as any parent in the room can attest to, one of the greatest things about parenting is watching your children grow. Uh, not only for their sake, but because you don't want to be changing poopy diapers for the rest of your life. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so parents, honestly, in our culture, parents are kind of obsessed with monitoring growth. You know, doctors say, oh, your baby's in this percentile in weight and this percentile in height. And, and you know, you're this percentile in verbal skills, whatever. Like we're obsessed with tracking growth on a physical level. And even us as children, you know, when your parents mark your height on the wall, you get so excited every time you've grown a half inch. But for some reason, on a spiritual level, we, we don't think that change is desirable or that it's even expected. Uh, but what if I told you that our spiritual life mirrors our physical life? That in our faith, growth is desired and expected as well. What if I told you that as much as, as parents want to see their children grow physically, that God wants to see us grow spiritually? The similarities between our spiritual lives and our physical lives are really, like, they're incredible when you start to look at it. So maybe I'm going to put a tool up here on the screen. Maybe you're familiar with this concept. Maybe you're not. Uh, we call it the discipleship wheel. It helps us, uh, you know, just as a tool to kind of track people and their ability to grow, where they're at, where they could be going, all of those things. So we're going to take just a quick look and break this down, uh, the different stages of life. And it really, like I said, it mirrors our physical lives as well. So before we are born, we're dead. I don't know how that works theologically. We're alive, you know, we're in, you know, it's a, but in, in the spiritual realm, the Bible says that we are dead to God, right? We are dead in our sin. And then there's a moment where we are born again. And at that point, just like in our natural lives, when you're born again, you become a spiritual infant. And infancy is characterized by ignorance. Now, any of you guys who have infants know that you don't expect a lot from your infants, they eat, they poop, they sleep, and then they start over again. It's like a cycle, and it's, I'm sure it's going to be great. Can't wait. Um, but you don't expect a lot from them, other than that they would eventually progress and grow. Uh, after that, you become a child, and then that, the identifier for the child phase is selfishness. So when we start to know there are choices to be made, but we make the choice that's best for us. So uh, selfishness looks a lot like 
You know, I don't want to get up and go to school. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to eat healthy. You know, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. Or it looks like I do want to stay up late and watch television. I do want to eat that cheeseburger. You know, I want, I want, I want. So our decisions there are categorized by our wants and our uh, desires. And as sad as this is, I truly believe that the childhood stage is where, like, there's a huge percentage of Christians, especially in America, that get stuck in the childhood stage and never progress from that point. We serve God on our terms when we want, and we serve ourselves when we want. And there's a very clear line before that. But the reality is, if you want to grow, if you want to mature in your faith, you can't get stuck in this stage or any other stage. As you start to mature out of that, you become a young adult. You start to look outside of yourself for the first time. You realize that no matter how long you've believed it, the world actually doesn't revolve around you. That there are other people and that your choices are affecting those other people as well. Uh, we start to seek ways to serve and love other people, not just because we have to, but because we generally want to. Uh, we start to come to church or to our campus meetings or our small group, not just to be fed, but looking for opportunities to feed others as well with what God is doing in our life. And this is really the time where you start transforming from being a disciple to making disciples. And then the, the natural progression of that is that you become a parent, right, or what we'd call a disciple maker up there on the screen. And at this point, you're, you're intentional, you're strategic, like most of the things you're doing are for a purpose, and you're living your life on purpose. So whether, you know, wherever you feel like you are on this wheel, each of us is in a stage, or maybe, you know, we're on the, the bridge between one stage to another, but it's encouraging because the reality of where you are right now doesn't have to be the reality of where you stay for the rest of your life, because God wants us to grow. In fact, he doesn't just want it, he actually expects it from us. If you think about uh, the gospel, you know, humans were created to rule and reign on the earth and to represent God. And we can't do that as infants or as children. Ruling and reigning takes maturity, and maturity takes transformation. Uh, so here's the one thing I want you to take away. If you remember nothing else, remember this one sentence, okay? If you want to become the person that God created you to be, you can't stay the person that you are now. It's the same lesson that Ben Carson learned in, the, in his bathroom that day. All right? And this is true according to the gospel of King Jesus. If you remember up here, the gospel uh, is laid out in four parts, right? So there's creation. Humans are created to represent God on the earth, to rule, to reign, to steward the earth, to take care of it, to grow it, to flourish it, to prosper it into everything that it was created to be. Humans are God's tool on the earth to, to use to make the earth achieve its highest possible potential. But then, like one page over after that, we didn't do very well for long, uh, the fall, right? Sin enters the world as people choose for themselves what is good and what is bad. So the fall happens, which is just a fancy term uh, for saying that sin entered the world, right? And sin caused death to enter the world as well. And so when things are dead, they need to be brought back to life if they want to progress. And that is what we call redemption. So Jesus came to redeem each and every person, uh, and not, in, not only in a way of redeeming you to where you get to someday go to heaven when you die, but redeeming you to your original purpose of advancing his kingdom on the earth, 
ruling and reigning and helping the earth to reach its ultimate potential. And we do that through the restoration of the rest of the world. So humans have a huge part to play in this story. But uh, there is another gospel at work in our society today that is leading people away from the gospel of King Jesus. And it's a gospel that we ourselves have the potential to buy into in a lot of ways. And it's called the gospel of secular salvation. All right, so this would say that in your childhood, your childhood innocence, you were in those moments perfect. Right, you were perfect. And then we all undergo some sort of trauma that causes us to lose our childhood innocence, to lose part of our identity, to lose part of who we are. But it's okay because when we find our truth, we can get back to that childhood innocence. And then the ultimate goal of secular salvation is that our truth, our truth, my truth as an individual, allows me to chase down all the pleasure that comes with being myself. And there's a lot of things I could say about using a uh, subjective word like my in front of an objective word like truth, because uh, it doesn't make sense. But the reality is that this really is the gospel without God. And the gospel without God is never going to be good enough. All right. So the gospel without God would say that I'm not who I'm supposed to be. All right. We would agree with that. And that I need to have transformation. Great. We agree with that. But then where we start to differ is that I can change myself and I don't need God to help me. It says that our lives are broken and that we are going to try to fix ourselves up. The goal of secular salvation is to find your truest self, but the Bible is abundantly clear that a true self can never be found outside of the Creator. So uh, who, who could tell, who better could tell something what it was created to be than the person who created it? but we look everywhere else to try to find that answer. So I have, I have here an iPad, you know, it's a handy piece of technology. Uh, but did you guys ever see those videos where like old people were getting iPads and thinking they were cutting boards and like cutting up food on iPads? So not only in that moment, not only was the iPad not being used for its full potential, but it was actually being damaged. And that's the way that our, our lives are when we look anywhere else but the Creator to tell us what our purpose is. We're being used, we're being damaged, and we're not reaching our full potential. Because the reality of secular salvation is that it results in loneliness, anxiety, depression, self-medicating, all of these things. Because we ultimately realize, some of us take longer than others, to realize that pleasure alone can never fulfill us. We work so hard and so long to find our true identity, only to find that we wake up and we're still not happy. Something's missing, and it will never be enough as long as God is not a part of the equation. But it isn't just the people who subscribe to this method of secular salvation that are in danger of missing out on finding their true selves. We're all at the risk of missing the real us. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro says, the vast majority of us will go to our graves without ever really knowing who we are. Now, when I first read that, I was terrified. And it should scare us. And I think the main reason that a lot of us as followers of Jesus don't ever figure out who we truly are is because either one, we don't know or won't admit that we need to change. Or number two, we're too afraid to start. 
But what caused Ben Carson to change is eventually what it will take for us to make the decision of change. For Ben in that moment, and some point for us, we realize that the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. We think that changing is this huge process full of pain and loss and death and suffering, but reality, we're already living in a process that is producing pain and loss and death and suffering. And we have to realize that the, the, the process of transformation leads to a result that is so much better for us. We live our lives going dead end to dead end thinking we can change the results. But the, the, the reality of, of life is that systems produce results. You can't change results, but you can change the systems. You, ben, ben couldn't expect his anger to go away by continuing to ignore it and just live that way. I can't expect to accomplish my health goals uh, without changing my diet and exercise systems. We can't grow in our spiritual maturity by continuing to live the same old broken systems and patterns of sin, rebellion, and selfishness. We're all in need of spiritual transformation. So spiritual transformation is a, is a hefty term, and it's actually in the Bible called sanctification, which uh, the KL2 book defines as the process of being progressively transformed into the person God created us to be. Uh, and there's two incredibly important words on this slide that I want to take, to take some time to look at. Number one is transformed. It's the reality that God is not done working on us. Uh, we often think of, of salvation or believing in Jesus as some sort of finish line. But the reality, when you look at it, is it's much more of a starting point than a finish line. It's the moment where we say, God, make me who you want me to be. Uh, being a Christian, and more importantly, being a disciple, requires that we live constantly in a process of transformation. And then progressively, uh, we, we are uh, an instant gratification society, as they say. We're the microwave generation or whatever. We want what we want. It's my money and I need it now. Uh, but progressively means that it's not an instant, I say yes to Jesus and he snaps his fingers and I'm all of a sudden perfect. When you say yes to Jesus, you're entering into a process where throughout your life, God's going to show you areas that he wants to heal and he wants to change. Now, sometimes there is, there is truth to sometimes God does instantly and miraculously take things from us. I've seen this in my life. Uh, not many people know that a couple months before I became a Christian, I was actually diagnosed with depression and put on medication. Uh, for months leading up to that point, I had felt purposeless, hope, hopeless, uh, and that it, even like nobody would care if I was gone. Like my life mattered that little. And when I, when I met Jesus, when I said yes to Jesus, he took that away from me and I've never looked back. And it is a miracle and it is incredible, but it doesn't always work that way. In fact, in my life, many other areas, you know, pornography addiction, uh, aggressive behavior, pride, selfishness, stealing, lying, cursing, they, they still were, and in a lot of cases still are, in a progress of being changed today. Uh, I joked that if my wife were to put me on Instagram Live during the Super Bowl tonight, you'd see how imperfect I really am. <laughs> um, and so we, we have to see that God is still working on each and every person. Uh, and God wants us to grow. But how do we grow? All right, we as humans uh, are, are three-part beings. There are three parts of us that exist, and we have to take care of all three of them. Number one is our body, our physical frame, the thing we take care of by yelling at mirrors and cheeseburgers. 
our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, the things that, you know, help us either eat the cheeseburger or the salad. And then the spirit, which is the part that is directly connected to God and enables us to hear God saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't eat another cheeseburger. Like we joke, joke about these things, but the reality is all three parts of, of us are intricately connected, but they're also vastly different. And the truth is, since they all matter to God, they should all matter to us as well. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that word again, sanctify. So really what Paul is telling us is, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be wholly transformed so that you can become the person God created you to be. Now these three parts have looked different at different stages of human history. Initially at creation, right, we were body, soul, and spirit. Our, our spirit was united with God's spirit. Our soul which was our mind, will, and emotions, was governed by God's Spirit. And our flesh was whole, right? It was perfect, just as it was intended to be. Then, as we all know, and we've talked about today, sin and death entered the world and things changed. So after the fall, our spirit died. God said, if you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And it, we did. Our spirits died and were no longer connected to God. But not only that, in that moment, our bodies were broken. They weren't whole anymore. And because our spirits were dead, we leaned on our soul. We leaned on our mind, will, and emotions to make decisions for ourselves instead of leaning on the Spirit of God. But then Jesus came. He brought life. We hear about it. Life, life abundant, eternal life, uh, resurrected life. And when we believe in Jesus, we see here that our spirit is renewed and resurrected. Just like Jesus was resurrected out of the grave, our spirits have been resurrected. It's incredible. It's a miracle, and it is worth celebrating. But it's not the end. As we see here, our souls and our body are not immediately transformed. Our old thought patterns, desires, habits, etc. must be renewed. And these things we, we refer to uh, in the Bible as the flesh. right? So there's, there's this battle going on that we're setting up. Unfortunately, too many people, and myself included for a long time, have their souls come back to life and then they stop there. But if God created us as three parts, are we really okay saying that he only cares about one of those parts being made whole again? Because that's not the God that I know. He wants souls to come back, or spirits to come back to life. He wants bodies made whole, healed again. And he wants souls that are regenerated to live his will instead of our own will. Because he wants us to become the person we were supposed to be. And remember, if you want to become the person that God created you to be, you can't stay the person that you are now. It's clear that the story of the Bible puts us in a battle between the flesh and what we know as the spirit. And Romans 8 lays this out for us. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now that, that might be a little confusing, big chunk of scripture with a lot of big words, and I'm sure that Pastor Jonathan could take months and months to break down just these few verses alone and what they mean theologically. Uh, but I want us to take a look at three main points from this message. Just remember this. There is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. If you want to please God, you follow the spirit. If you don't want to please God, you follow the flesh. And thirdly, you cannot follow the spirit unless your spirit has been brought to life. So practically, here's what I think this may look like. You know, uh, if you guys tuned in to the, to the big Sunflower Showdown a couple weeks ago, uh, the, the end of the game there, man, I think the flesh tells you to pick up the stool and the spirit's like, whoa, buddy, put that down. All right, that's going to take you down a path you do not want to go down. Uh, but even beyond that, a couple weeks ago, I was trying to get uh, a group of people in Topeka to start a writing group. I'm really passionate about writing, creating uh, a lot of these things. And so I posted in the Neighborhood app, uh, which is basically just like Facebook with more drama, less fun, uh, and only includes the people who directly live in your immediate area. So a lot of people responded, uh, mostly people over the age of 70, which is fine. Um, <laughs> But there was this one lady in particular who seemed really interesting. So I was like, I'm going to follow up with her. She said that she was a mystery novel author and she had published several books. So I was like, oh, that's really cool. How'd you get started? She said, I didn't write my first novel until I was 67 when my husband left me for another woman and I drove around town for hours thinking of all the creative ways I could kill him. And then while driving around, I thought, you know what? This is a good idea for a book. And she wrote it, published it. It's great. So I think, man, the flesh would encourage you to go kill them. The spirit might say, hey, maybe there's a more creative way we could use that energy. All right. And the reality is, no matter how funny these examples may be, we all find ourselves in this same battle every day. We're all presented with choices. Some of them will honor God and some will not. How we treat each other, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we watch on television. The fight is real, and it's going on inside of us way more often than we realize. But who will win the fight? All right, I want to set up a little scenario to help you guys out. Let's say there's a big battle going on. It's a fight between two contrasting things. Uh, and and I'll, I know where you think I'm going, but this is much more important than the Super Bowl. And you know it must be important if I'm saying that. So I need, I need two volunteers. I need two big, strong guys to come up here for me. Help me out. All right, we got one. All right. <laughs> all right, all right. Would you tell everybody your name? Um, I'm Luke. Luke? Tom. All right, so we got a battle between Luke and Tom. All right, let's picture this. It's, it's like UFC fight. So, you know, a couple days before the fight, a week before the fight, they get together, they talk their trash, whatever, take their pictures. Uh, but then I get to decide for the next week how each of them are going to train. Okay, and what's going to happen to each of them. So now let's say I take Luke here, and for a week I feed him chicken and eggs and protein shakes and all these things that are just give, making you just big and buff and muscular. And then I take Tom and I just sit him in the corner and I starve him for a week. All right, now in a week when the battle comes, who's going to win? Yeah. 
the reality is, not only in this physical representation, but in the spiritual representation, the one you feed is the one who will win. All right, give these guys a hand. And it's true, if you feed the Spirit, the Spirit will defeat the flesh and you'll become more of the person God created you to be. But if you feed the flesh, your flesh will overcome your spirit and you will become less of the person you were created to be. We feed these things by what we take in. When we read the Bible, pray, engage in community, serve, get discipled, or even spend time in nature, we are taking in things that will feed our spirit. But when we instead watch, read, listen to, do things, or surround ourselves with people that are contrary to God's will, we feed our flesh. If we feed our flesh, it will grow. It's natural. But if we don't feed our flesh, it will starve, slowly die off, and you will start to see transformation in your life. By living according to the Spirit, our bodies and souls can be transformed. But transformation takes desire. You have to want it. Nobody can want it for you. And the reality, you have to ask yourself, do I really want to stay the way I am, or do I want to become the person God created me to be? Because again, if you want to become the person God created you to be, you can't stay the person you are now. And transformation also takes discipline. You have to stay committed to the process. It can't be a one-day thing. It's no coincidence that the word discipline and the word disciple come from the same root word. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be disciplined. I was reading this book, Toughness, by Jay Billis uh, this week. He's a sports broadcaster, former basketball player. Uh, really, really cool guy. And in his book, he said, Discipline is doing what you should do instead of what you want to do. Maturity is when what you want to do and what you should do start to become the same thing. We have to stay disciplined. And the longer we stay disciplined, the more mature we become. But without discipline, we can't mature. And of course, you won't always be perfect. I'm definitely not. I've had countless times in my life where I know exactly what God wants me to do, and I go and do something completely different. Or I know God's saying, do this, and I'm like, I'm going to do anything else, actually. And Paul lays this out for us as well in Romans 7 to show us that it's not just us that struggle with this. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. Anybody ever felt that way? He says, I don't, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Sounds like a Tuesday for me. Like, I get that. I understand that. But in the sanctification process, the process of transformation keeps us becoming more and more and more of the person God, who God created us to be. He calls us to keep going even when we fall down. We got to be people who would live out that old Chumbawamba song from the 90s. I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down. Man, even if I fail nine times out of ten, I'm going to get up and keep going. And maybe next time I'll only fail eight times out of ten. It's a process. It's sanctification. And the reality is that God is willing to reveal himself and his purpose to you. He's willing to. He wants to. And you can experience as much of him as you want. You can be changed by him as much as you want. But you have to make the choice over and over, again and again, what do I want more, to be the person I am now or to become the person God created me to be? 
Imagine the world in which Dr. Ben Carson never got control of his anger problems. Who knows what would have happened? Maybe he actually would have eventually killed someone. Either way, he certainly wouldn't be the marvelous medical mind that he is now. Like reading these books, I'm thinking of all the scientific advances his surgeries and research have made that would never have happened if not for that day when he said, I have to change if I'm going to become who God created me to be. Now think of what the world would look like if all of us right here in this room made that same decision. Think of what our city, our campus, our state, even our world would look like. What would this city look like? What would this world look like if we all made the decision to give up who we are now to become who God created us to be? Imagine the countless lives that would be impacted, the advances in the world that would be made, the number of disciples that would be made, the unjust systems that could be changed, the mind-blowing impact of all of us in this room living out this one simple principle is mind-blowing to think about all the possibilities of it. But none of that happens without first making that choice. And none of it would be possible without what Jesus did for us on the cross. He chose to take on death and be resurrected so that we too could make the choice to die to ourselves and be resurrected into the people we were created to be. Will you make that choice today?